25, verses 19 through 24. Hear now the word of God in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 19 through 24. Quench not the spirit. Despise not prophesies. Test all things, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. My friends, as we did last week, we were looking at verses 23 and now to 24 today. And this, these two little verses, these, this little section of Scripture dealing with total sanctification as Paul and Silas and Timothy pray for the Thessalonians' total sanctification. Now, last week we mentioned, and I'll mention again briefly, that the Holy Spirit is the least understood member of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is the least understood member of the Trinity. Who is he? Who is the Holy Spirit? The Trinity. He is the one who proceeds eternally from the Father and the Son, he is truly God. He is a person. As I mentioned last week, I believe, my father always used to say, you don't lie to an it. And yet, in Acts 5, it says you, uh, Peter said you, speaking of Ananias and Sapphira, you have lied to the Holy Spirit. So he is a person. He's the third person of the Trinity. What does he do? Just briefly then, he inspires and then illumines the scriptures. So we have a faithful witness and we have him, and we have the spirit faithfully applying that witness to our hearts, illuminating, illuminating the scriptures. He convicts of sin and he applies the salvation purchased by Christ. The Spirit, then, is the sanctifier. The Spirit is the sanctifier, the process that is worked in us is sanctification. The process that is worked in us is sanctification. You may hear in that word sanctification, sanctus, like sanctuary. What's a sanctuary? It's a place that is set apart for the worship of God. Sanctus, sanctuary, a holy place. And so sanctification then has to do with our holiness, with our being set apart. As we, as we did our catechism questions today, we did question answer 35. Sanctification is the work of God's free grace whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die into sin and live unto righteousness. 
This doctrine then deals with that which is subjective, that which is applied to us. It is within us. It's not outside of ourselves like that which is objective, but rather it is that which is subjective. It involves practical righteousness, practical righteousness. In other words, we put into practice what God wants us to do. It's practical. It implies a process. It implies a process. That is to say, it is, it is not once for all, but it implies a process. It's ongoing, in, in, which, in which more and more we are enabled, to, as it says here, to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. And this sanctification is effected, is put into effect, this making one holy is put into effect by the Holy Spirit. So it is the Spirit, but it's the Holy Spirit who works holiness within us. Now last week we looked at the beginning of verse 23 in terms of sanctification and you notice the sanctifier and the very God of peace, the very God, the very God that is connected with the previous section, that God, that God uh, um, uh, in terms of not quenching the spirit and despising not prophesying and that very God of peace the God who effects peace between himself and man by means of the blood of Christ at the cross, the God also who brings inner peace into the heart of man, that God of shalom, that God of peace, sanctify you wholly or completely. And so last week then we looked at sanctification. But today now, as we continue on in verse 23 and then to verse 24, we see preservation. Preservation. And as we look at this today, children, we're looking at man's nature. Man's nature. Now, I need you all to do something for me. I need you, as it were, to buckle your seatbelts, okay? We're going, to, we're going to be dealing with some very deep stuff here, but it's important, okay? But I know you can do this. I know that you can follow me on this, okay? Now, what I want to mention to you is that there's been a controversy with regard to this verse. You see where it says here, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body, you see that? Now, there are folks who believe in what we call trichotomy. So when you hear that word tri, T-R-I, it means three, like a tricycle. Children, you know what a tricycle is? How many wheels does it have? It has three. A triplane has how many wings? It has three, okay? <coughs> so trichotomy, three parts, okay? And so there are folks that throughout church history who have looked at this verse and say, well, we're talking about three different substances, three different kinds of things, trichotomy. An early heresy, by the way, said that Jesus was, was human in terms of his soul and body, but 
he did not have a human spirit. Now that particular view of trichotomy is a heresy that, of course, denies the full humanity of Christ. But what is the, what is the solution, then, to this controversy? Should we conclude that, that man really is a trichotomy, like a tricycle? Does he really have three distinct parts to him? Well, let me suggest that that's not the correct way to understand this. It is clear from the Bible that man consists of two substances, that is to say, a physical substance and a non-physical substance, if we may put it that way. There's a physical side to man, his body, and then there is the spiritual, the non-body, the non-physical side. In Genesis chapter 2, we read, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So there are only two substances, aren't there? God made Man made Adam from the dust of the ground, that's the body, and then he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. In the Hebrew, there's a word called nephesh, which refers to this, and in the Greek, the word psuche, from which we get the word psychology, interestingly, which refers to the soul of man. And both these words, nephesh in the Old Testament, the Hebrew, suke, Greek in the New Testament, both of them mean breath, life, the living principle. Okay? So what we're finding here then, when, when here in verse 23, when it says your whole spirit, soul, and body, not referring to three different types of substances, but only two, why does he say spirit and soul then? Because spirit and soul are looking at that non-body, that non-physical side of man, but from different perspectives. When it says spirit, just like God is a spirit, when it says spirit, it means that immaterial part of man in relation to God. That, that part of the inner being of man as he receives God's influence upon him and as he offers worship to God. Soul, on the other hand, is looking at it from a different perspective. It's looking at it in terms of the lower realm, the seat of sensations, of affections, and of desires. The things that you like, so when you like something... It's not your body so much as liking that. It's your mind that is saying, I like whatever this is. And so it's referring then to the inner part of man in terms of the lower realm. Now, I'm sure that uh, you know that uh, baseball season has, has uh, come now. And uh, I want you to think about this a minute. Let's think about a baseball. You all know what a baseball looks like. So I could describe a baseball as white, that would be the color, and I could describe a baseball as round. So I could refer to a white ball, or I could refer to a round ball. 
or a white ball that is also round, right? And that's what you find here. So spirit and soul is looking at the inner part of who you are, the inner part of man, from two different perspectives. So man's nature then consists of two parts. The inner part, the soulish, the spiritual side, and the outer part, which is the body. So, this preservation then of man's nature, notice the action that your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless. Be preserved blameless. The whole thing, the whole person, in other words, that's what Paul is getting at here. He's saying not just one part of you, and not just not just a few aspects of you, but everything that can be said about who you are. Children, body and soul. Body and spirit. Everything that can be said about you, Paul is saying, I want you, as you, to be preserved blameless. The word to pres for preserved means kept or kept guard over or kept as a prisoner, watched with the same carefulness and care. Notice that this is preservation in holiness. Preservation in holiness. That's what he's getting at here. May your soul, spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless. That is to say that you may be preserved unto holiness so that you can be kept from sinfulness. Now, children, what are some of the ways in which you might express your sinfulness? Lusts, desires that you shouldn't have, disobedience to the law of God. Now, I was going to say, now we, we know that that's not true of any of you, right? Yeah. It is true. It's true of all of us, children disobedience to the law of God, not obeying your parents, not doing your best in school, and so forth, not keeping the Sabbath day holy, disobedience to God's law, but also pride and vanity, being puffed up with pride. And so these are all instances of ways in which we can give expression to sinfulness. And what, what Paul here is saying is, I am praying, I am desiring that everything that makes you, you, spirit, soul, body, everything that can be said about you, inner and outer, that that can be preserved blameless. Now already this term, amemptos, for blameless, has been used in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 10 you are witnesses in God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe, blamelessly. Verse Chapter 3, verse 13. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. And now here in this verse, at the very, at, towards the very end of 1 Thessalonians 5, again, without blame, be preserved blameless. 
What is in view here then is personal righteousness, personal uprightness. That's what's being referred to. I want to pause here just a moment. An older person and younger person, I want to pause here and just say, just ask you the question, is this true of you? Are you concerned about being blameless? Are you concerned about holiness? Are you concerned about doing that which is right? Or do you really not care about that? And how you answer that question will tell you whether you really have faith in Christ or not. It's an indicator of what's in your heart. So, preserved, blameless, everything about you, whole spirit, soul, and body, until or unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the parousia, the second coming of Christ. We've already seen this in First uh, Thessalonians, but we see this idea in other places as well. Second Timothy, for example, Second Timothy 4, just a few, few uh, books over, Second Timothy 4, and uh, verse, verse 8, finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And also in Second Peter, in Second Peter chapter 3, in Second Peter chapter 3, as uh, Peter deals with the second coming of Christ, verse 4. There are those who say, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. But basically, Peter is saying, you know, you're, you're being ridiculous. You're being foolish in terms of this. As he, as he goes on to say, but verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat, both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. And my friends, that day is coming. It's the second coming of Christ. It's the parousia, to use the Greek. It is that day that is coming. And so Paul here is saying, I want God's grace to be at work in you so that he will sanctify you completely, and so that your whole spirit, soul, and body may be preserved blameless until the day that Jesus Christ comes back. Well, that leads us then to the final part of what we're considering today, and that is the promise. Promise in terms of this. Verse 24, he who calls you is faithful, or faithful is you know, it's interesting, my friends, that God's faithfulness is the foundational truth for his promises. God's faithfulness, including his ability to do what he says he's going to do, his faithfulness is the foundational truth for his promises. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 8 and 9, who also, will also conform, confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Very similar wording. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus 
Christ our Lord. You remember in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, we read, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 18. But as God is faithful, our word to you was not yes and no. It was yes and amen in Christ. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 3. 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 3 we read, But the Lord is faithful who will establish, establish you and guard you from the evil one. And do you remember one of our memory verses, 1 John 1, 9? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So faithful is he who calls you. Who calls you? But... Not so much with the outward call, but with the inner call. Indeed, it is God who must do the calling by his Holy Spirit. And that salvation is an unbroken chain of events, starting, of course, with God's et our being eternally elected by God, effectually called, regenerated, justified, adopted, sanctified, and someday glorified. And God is faithful. Children, God is faithful. He will do it. As a matter of fact, that's what it says here. Who also will do it? Who also will perform it? Who also will accomplish it? He's not like this used car salesman on the, on the TV who makes all kinds of promises that aren't true, God has the power and the willingness to do it so that we enjoy the perseverance, the preserving of the saints. God will do it. Now I have three points of application today. The first is this. And again, hold in there with me. This is very important. And especially parents, I want you to hear me on this. Because this is very important when we're saying. Never forget that salvation is of the whole person. That's what we're talking about here. Salvation is, of, is the whole person. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless and so forth. This, by the way, includes your body. It's not like you're some disembodied spirit that God saves. It includes your body, includes everything about you. It also includes these the higher faculties, your mind and so forth, which also need to be redeemed. We are totally sinful. Everything about us is characterized by sin. We are totally depraved. We may not be as bad as we could be, but every part of us is polluted by sin. Body, soul, and spirit, we can say. Every part of us, everything about us is affected by sin, is polluted by sin, is displeasing to God because of sin. 
It's not as if our minds somehow are exempt from that. Even the way that we think needs to be redeemed by God. And that leads me, and again, this is why children, you need to listen. Parents, you need to listen very carefully to what I'm going to say. It's one of the most important things, this next point. This Christian doctrine of being saved, your whole self, body, spirit, soul, this Christian doctrine is under attack today by means of an idea called transgenderism. You may have heard of it. Okay? It's the idea that your gender, who you really are, is different from your sex. Now that's stupid on the surface. It's ridiculous. Only HR departments of major corporations and university diversity offices dream this stuff up. And yet, even though it is totally nuts and it needs to be laughed at and mocked and ridiculed and resisted today instead of shoved down our throats as it's being shoved down our throats by the government and by the education establishment and by the media and by the education establishment. Parents, be careful. Your children are probably being subject to this in the government schools. Be careful. Know what your children are learning or being taught. But it is totally nuts. We need to ridicule it. We need to resist it. We need to reject it. We need to mock it for the foolishness that it is. But notice that it is not only against the nature of man, we might say anthropology, but it is also against the salvation that God has given us in Christ. Because Christ came that we might be saved, soul, spirit, and body, everything about us. And we were God made us. If God made you a boy, you're a boy. If God made you a girl, you're a girl. And everything about you then, including your sex, including your gender, including who you are, either as a boy or a girl, everything about you, you see, Christ wants to redeem. Christ paid the price for you to redeem everything about you, including who you are, not only as made in the image of God, but also as a male or female, a boy or a girl. Don't let anyone tell you differently. Laugh at them. Mock them. Ridicule them. Resist them for the foolishness but more so because of the deny, the attack upon Jesus Christ, the attack upon who he is as the Savior who died on the cross to redeem us wholly, blamelessly, in terms of everything that we are. So never forget that the salvation is of the whole person. Number two, notice the combination of the universal and the individual, or we might say the cosmic, the cosmos, as say, Carl Sagan would have said, the cosmos, the world, the universal, and the individual. Do you notice this? See, the Holy Spirit's work is on a universal scale connected with the return of Christ. 
Isn't that interesting? It's on a universal scale, connected with the return of Christ. That's what he's saying here. Be preserved blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Someday, Jesus is going to come back. This whole world is going to be destroyed by fire. But at the same time, it is also very intensive and individual. In other words, what God is saying, what Paul is saying here is that it's not just the universal. It's not just we can look at all, you know, at, at the universe. We look at the big picture, but we can also at the same time look at the individual. So I can say to each one of you, and I'm looking right now at each one of you. I'm looking right now at each one of you. And I'm saying to each one of you, you need to make sure this is true of you, that the Spirit is at work in your life. And so it's not just the, the broad picture. It is also the Spirit of God working in the life of the individual, including, my friends, in you. And finally, look to Christ for the blood-bought guarantee that God will be faithful in sanctifying you. Look to Christ for the blood-bought guarantee that it's guaranteed, it is sealed, but it's not sealed with some sort of, of uh, metal or plastic seal. It is sealed or wax. It's sealed, listen children, it is sealed with the blood of Christ. Look to Christ for that blood-bought guarantee that God will be faithful in sanctifying you. For you see, my friends, he died for you, spirit, soul, and body. He rose again in his physical body for your salvation, spirit, soul, and body, everything that you are. He gave, Jesus gave himself body and soul. Jesus gave everything that he was as the God-man. He gave everything that he was so that you, in terms of everything that you are, can have salvation. And so look to Christ, that God will be faithful in sanctifying you. Amen. We please stand for prayer? And now, our Father, we pray that thy Holy Spirit would work at this message powerfully in the hearts of each one and will accomplish what thy purpose is. And we thank thee, Lord. We thank thee for it. In Jesus' name, amen. In closing,